Hey, welcome everybody to our very first episode of Two Tankers and a Cat. We are your host. I'm Charlie. And I am Russell. And today we're going to give you a few key points of what we're going to be doing and what our whole uh, podcast is going to be about. Um, We are going to be talking about, of course, tanks. Um, We're going to start off with the early ones. And we'll bounce around quite a bit. But before we get into that, I'd like to go ahead and do the host introductions. Uh, we'll let Russell go first. Yeah, my name is uh, Russell Parsons. I reside in a small town in southeast Kansas. That's pretty much where I've been all my life, in southeast Kansas. Uh, my interest in military tanks probably started about four years ago when I was introduced to the computer game called World of Tanks. I'm sure several of you have probably heard of that game. And... We will talk about it every so often within this podcast in the future. And since I've been playing that game, I've been studying the history of tanks, uh, mainly United States military tanks. And within the last four years also, um, Charlie and I have visited several U.S. military history museums. And as you might guess, most of those museums have some type of a pretty magnificent tank display the one that comes to mind being the best for me to date is probably the fort hood texas first cavalry division museum and the third armored cavalry regiment museum there at fort hood also and i'm charles chapman Uh, i reside in the same town as uh, russell does out here in southeast kansas Uh, my interest in military tanks started when i was a little bit younger than he he was um about 12 years old, my father bought me a snap-on model kit of the Tiger tank. And what I found is that I loved tanks. And then the video game that me and Russell basically met through, uh, World of Tanks, we found out that we both had loved the history of it, and we, just, uh, we loved traveling. And we started traveling to all the different museums around. Um, it's just amazing. If you uh, ask me what my favorite museum right now is, I would have to say um, Fort, Hood, Fort Hood was amazing. Um, they had amazing tanks there, multiple museums. And I like to stress, if you haven't seen a museum or haven't went down to your local VFW hall and seen some of their tanks that they may have on display, you should make a trip of it. Um, we have tons of pictures, and we are going to try to get them on uh, a link or something on our podcast. But everybody's main question is, what is Lightning the Tank cat? Well, Lightning is uh, Russell's rescue cat, and uh, I'll, I'll let Russell explain Lightning a little bit more. Yeah, Lightning will be our Two Tankers and a Cat podcast mascot, and she let me know the other day that she's pretty excited to be a part of this venture. I adopted Lightning from the Southeast Kansas Humane Society, which is a local pet rescue shelter, about three years ago. And I will admit, it was probably about the best $20 that I've ever spent. Uh, Lightning also enjoys military tanks, as she's usually curled up and napping next to the computer monitor while I'm playing the video game on the personal computer, World of Tanks. So I think we're going to start off and, and 
everybody's saying, oh, well, if you're starting off about, you know, tanks, you have to bring up the Mark One, and, and we are going to talk about the Mark One a little bit, and, and but I think what we're going to go for, and we're not trying to offend our international listeners, but we're going to talk about the Mark V Star, which is an American tank during World War One, and uh, was in some pretty amazing battles. In fact, um, I think down in Atlanta, Georgia, what's the base down there, Russell? Yeah, Fort Fort Benning, Georgia. Yeah, they are doing a remodel of that original tank, and they are going to have it on display. But they won't open up the museum till 2022, and we've already planned a big trip down there. And, of course, we'll still be going by then, I'm sure, and we'll have tanks of that trip. Russell, tell me a little bit about the Mark V. Well, I'm going to go back to where it all started in World War I. Um, the United States came up with the tank corps of the American Expeditionary Forces. Uh, it was the mechanized unit that engaged in tank warfare for the American Expeditionary Force, or the AEF, um, on the Western Front during World War I. In the first half of 1918, we had the 301st Heavy Tank Battalion, was started at Camp Meade, Maryland, in the United States, and they shortly thereafter moved to the British Tank School at Bovington Camp in southern England for their training. The American 301st Heavy Tank Battalion, it was equipped with about 19 Mark V and 21 Mark V Star tanks in their very first heavy tank action against the Hindenburg Line on September 27th of 1918. Now, Russell, I got a question. What is the difference between a Mark V and a Mark V Star? Well, as you would see a Mark V Star on a piece of paper, you would have an asterisk after the Roman numeral V. And that asterisk in early British tank designations was usually pronounced as a star when spoken. So, for example, you'd have the Mark V Star or Mark V Star Star, and it kind of went on up. Um, they had several versions. Amazing. See, now this is the stuff that this podcast is supposed to bring out is the little known facts about tanks. Um, and I also will, uh, add on, um, some of the differences between the Mark five and the Mark five star. You asked, I mean, what kind of modifications can actually be done to a heavy tank like this? Yeah. The Mark V Star is actually a lengthened version by about six feet of the Mark V. It was designed during the fall of 1917, and it was mainly modified to deal with the Hindenburg Line. And what the deal was, the Germans caught on to the Mark I through four tanks, heavy tanks, that, hey, they were able to uh, cross the trenches. And so the Germans decided to make their trenches quite a bit wider. And so with the Mark V star, they made it longer and they were able to get over those wider trenches a lot easier. So that was the main modification. The Germans had found out that if they lengthened the trenches, the tanks couldn't get through. So they linked them so we could go over and get past the trenches. That's amazing. Yeah. And the Mike Five Star also had a reshaped uh, rear cupola. Uh, it actually incorporated two extra machine gun mounts and a door in each side of the hole 
with an extra machine gun mount on each of those doors. Um, so that was the main difference between the Mark V Star and the Mark V. Now, I know people have talked about the difference between a female and a male. What was the main difference between a male and a female Mark? Now, I've heard that there was the female did not have a main gun in the front, and the female did not. Yeah, the, the, the main difference, the Mark V Star male, it had two six-pounder guns on it with about 207 rounds, and it had four .303-inch uh, Hotchkiss Mark I machine guns mounted on it besides the two six-pounders. The Mark V Star female, it only had six .303-inch Hotchkiss Mark I machine guns. So your male had the extra two six-pounder guns, and the female only had the machine guns. Now, we're not trying to offend any of our female listeners, but unfortunately, the male had the big gun. So <laughs> so I, I'm figure, I figure you guys can figure that out on your own. Um, there was, if you read some of the history on the World War One, we all know how bloody and how bad it was and why they came up with the general idea of some kind of armored vehicle that could get past just the machine guns that would just tear men apart. Um, tell me about the first battle of the Mark V. Or, uh, probably not even the first battle, I don't think. It's the one where the after the battle, the was it the captain had sent a letter to one of his, the parents of a fallen soldier? One of his oh, crew members. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Corporal Leo George Roth of Coving- Covington, uh, Kentucky. He was a member of C Company, 301st Tank Battalion, and he was on board uh, Mark V tank, heavy tank, number 9376, um, when it went into battle at uh, St. Quentin Canal. I believe that was on September 29th of 1918 during World War One. And at the age of 25, Corporal Roth killed in action. Following letter that I'm going to read is from Corporal Roth's tank commander, uh, Lieutenant Robert Vernon, and it was written to Leo's parents in 1919. Yeah, I'd, I'd really like to hear that letter. The lifting of censorship at this time permits me to inform you of Leo, who was a corporal of my crew, it is no pleasant task for me to inform you of his death, but thought you might care to know how he met his death. He was one of the most cool-headed men in the tank and didn't make even a whimper when he knew he could not live. The battalion went into action for the first time between Cumbria and San Quentin on September 29th, near the small towns of La Catalay and Bellicourt. At La Catalay, the San Quentin Canal, which forms an almost impassable barrier in front of the Hindenburg Line, passes through a tunnel more than 6,060 yards long. To break the Hindenburg Line, the British saw that this tunnel would have to be crossed. The Germans knew it also. Consequently, they had it strongly fortified. Two American divisions, the 30th and 27th, with the American and some British heavy tanks were given the job of taking the tunnel and breaking the line. It is needless to say they did, 
Our tank got through the first line with only two wounded, Leo and another corporal. A machine gun bullet had wounded Leo in the right eye and ear, but in spite of that, he loaded the six-pounder while I fired. We had one breathing spell in which we gave him a drink and washed his face. In coming back, we ran into more Germans. The tank was set on fire, and the only thing to do was evacuate. The machine guns and two snipers were firing at us. However, no one was hit. I examined Leo's eye again and saw it was gone. We rested under the tank for a while, but had to leave because of the fire. We rushed from one shell hole to another, from more than a mile back towards our lines, without being hit by rifle bullets. However, when we reached the roads, the Germans began shelling us heavily. One shell broke one man's leg twice, below the knee, wounded another, and severely wounded Leo. His last words were, Well, I'm glad I know I killed some Jerry's before they got me. He is buried near the small village of St. Emily in a graveyard with a lot of American and British soldiers. I judge is at about three and a half miles west of La Catalate and Bellacourt. I only mention the fight because I thought you would like to know what kind of a show Leo was in. I'm mighty proud of him. He did not die in vain. The ground taken on September 29th was considered the hardest place on the Hindenburg Line. No fight afterward even could compare. What an amazing story. And for this man to write a letter like that to the parents. And remember, this is a 25-year-old man from Kentucky. Let's say the education back then wasn't really good. But here's a man that signed up, went into the tank corps, and like I said, he was shot in the eye. And, you know, his eye was missing. He didn't scream. He didn't roll around. He didn't beg for help. He actually helped people, continued the fight, loaded the cannons. You know, what a heroic thing to do. And this is the kind of stuff that we want to get out in our podcast to show the true heroes that these tankers are. We've all heard the movies and we've seen the shows of how tanks caught fire and the people would die inside. Being a tanker didn't make you, you know, Superman. It made you a target. And it's just, these are the stories that we hope to get out. And we hope that you'll support us. And uh, in fact, uh, we are even going to take questions on our future podcast and our old podcast. What's our email right now? Our current email is uh, two tankers and cat at gmail.com. T W O T A N K E R S A N D C A T at gmail.com. So if you have any questions, feel free to email us. Um, like I said, we're going to try to get some other social media put up on links on our uh, podcast link site. What is our actual podcast? address uh you can get to our podcast um it's hosted on podbean.com you can go to two tankers and cat dot podbean.com t-w-o-t-a-n-k-e-r-s-a-n-d-c-a-t dot podbean p-o-d-b-e-a-n.com and that will get you to our front page and from there you'll be able to see 
any past or future podcasts that we'll put out. On the Mark V, well, it, just the Mark V stars and females and males, what were some of the weakened weaknesses and some of the conditions of being inside the tank wrestle? Oh, wow. Yeah. From some of the articles and everything that I've come across, it, it was it was pretty evil inside a Mark V star or Mark V tank. Um, the Mark V star actually drew air from outside the tank um, across the radiator and expelled the air through a vent. Um, which left the air inside the crew compartment pretty darn stagnant. The only ventilation that I found for the crew compartment, other than the driver and gunner viewports located on all sides of the tank, was actually a roof-mounted, they called it a roof-mounted Keith fan. So you had one fan in the top of that tank that was actually circulating the air in that thing. But that's not all. I mean, you figure you've got some pretty unclean air in there that fan was pretty un- inadequate for maintaining a stable supply of of clean air the exhaust from the engine mounted inside the middle of the tank and the gun smoke um, it would all become trapped inside the tank with the crew uh, which would cause many of the crewmen to grow ill and in most extreme cases was enough to render them unconscious i mean i've i've read stories of where that happened quite a bit so if you take time to think in your head, you're inside the tank, uh, which uh, had a crew of, what, five or even up to seven? Yeah, I believe this particular, the Mark Five Star, had a crew of eight. Of eight. I'm almost positive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That I know was, some of them had upwards to 11. Yeah, I know they had a commander, a driver, and then they had six gunners. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. All right, imagine eight people in this small metal coffin. The engine's inside. The exhaust is inside. The carbon monoxide is filling up. Now everybody's saying, oh, well, you know, they had light bulbs in there. They didn't. You're working in the dark, uh, basically whatever sunlight can get through, and the heat is unbearable. The gun smoke from the six pounder guns you know when you open them up and, and when you after you fire around number one could you imagine being in a metal coffin like that and having a cannon go off and what it did to your ears everybody says oh well they had headphones and stuff no they didn't have that and here you're, you're deaf you can't see you're blind you're choking on the very air you are extreme heat in this metal no air conditioning so if you think about it you're blind you know you're you're can't breathe you're you're in it's in terrible hot it's just a living hell in there and for these men to fight as hard as they did and don't give up what heroes um i don't know russell what would you would, would you prefer to be a tanker, you know, back in World War One? Wow. Starting out and seeing the conditions they had to live with inside these tanks. I mean, they not only had people shooting at them and throwing makeshift grenades and everything else to try to light the tank on fire and everything else. I mean, no. Back then, I probably wouldn't want to be a tanker. When I hear the stories about him being wounded in the tank, 
And, and people are like, oh, well, it's, he says right in there he washed his eye out. Well, remember, we're sitting here. And in fact, I'm looking at my own bottled water. It's purified and everything. These guys were getting wells, hand-dug wells. And if you ever pull water out of a hand-dug well, it is nothing like you would get in a bottle of water. And they're washing this guy with the bacteria and stuff like that. And, of course, that's why there was so much death and, you know, other diseases that happened. The medical care, with no morphine and everything, could you imagine getting shot in the eye and then continue to fight and then run for a mile while getting shelled? Yeah, I mean, it, it's just incredible. I mean, what what kept these young kids in World War One going? I don't think you could get a kid today uh, that's 25. You go to your local college and you pull out a, your typical 25-year-old male today and tell him, yeah, this is your tank, this is what's going to happen, this is the kind of water you're going to drink, this is the kind of food you're going to eat. I think most of them would say, um, do I get cell phone coverage do i get my free wi-fi yeah. no we, we didn't have that so your millennial life support will not be functioning most of them would walk away i, I would agree with that yes but uh, other men like this signed up and thought it was an honor to you know break through lines and they broke through you know that was actually a win for them russell tell me a little bit about why we're bringing a cat into there and some of the cat history and tanks and military because people are going to go there were you know military dogs and we know about what a great thing but there were cats yes there was i mean i've found quite a bit of proof that there were cats um not only in world war one world war two and probably even today on some of the military exercises the our soldiers are involved in couple that just to kind of give you a couple ideas on how cats were used during some of the wars they used cats as mousers and they kept the trenches free of rats and mice um, which helped with the keeping everything a little bit cleaner for the soldiers and keeping them from getting diseases and stuff like that absolutely and one of the things we'd like to point out is these are things that we would like you as a listener to research and try to find history and stories on cats in the military, especially tankers and stuff like that. If you find that, please send it to our email. We'll research it and you show us your links and stuff. And uh, if we use your stuff, we will definitely uh, give you a shout out over the air and thank you for your uh, help for our podcast. What would be some of the battles that impressed you in World War One with Tang? The biggest battle in World War One um, that stands out that involved the Americans was probably to do with the Hindenburg Line. September 27th of 1918, they used uh, 19 Mark Fives and about 21 Mark Five Star tanks, heavy tanks. Um, that was their first heavy tank battle, pretty much ever in World War One, Now the British and their Mark Ones through Mark Fours, they were involved in some pretty heavy battles before this, but American-wise, the Hindenburg Line was probably it. Well, you keep saying that this is one of the heaviest battles. Um, in battle, you lose tanks. What kind of losses was the Americans looking at tank-wise? 
Oh, wow. Um, like I said, they had the Americans had uh, 21 Mark V Star tanks and 18 of the 21 Mark V Star heavy tanks were actually lost or disabled. Did come up with some facts that nine of those 18 were hit by artillery rounds. Um, one of the tanks was totally destroyed, and two of the tanks were hit by British mines. Oh, no. Inadvertently. Friendly fire. And uh, five of the Mark V Star tanks that were lost or disabled had mechanical problems. I mean, that was a pretty common deal, th- too, back then, keeping the engines running keeping the the crew safe enough to keep going and of the 21 tanks two were actually ditched in trenches um they didn't make it through the wider trenches that the germans had dug and and some of them i heard actually caved in what i remember you were talking about the two were ditched in trenches one of the tanks had actually made it across but the mud and everything had broke free and it went down to a place where it was just spinning its tire, and they actually had to ditch at it. Now, people say, well, ditching in a ditch. Well, you're forgetting there's Germans down there. They're rolling across Germans. Now they're stuck, and now they got to get out and fight hand-to-hand, point-blank range. Still want to be a tanker? Wow. I don't know. Not I don't know then. either. At that point in time, probably not. So what... Tank uh, number is down at the National Armory and Calvary Museum in Fort Benning now. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. The uh, National Armor and Calvary Museum at Fort Benning, Georgia, they've got a Mark V Star mail tank. It's number 9591, and it's been part of their collection since about 2010. Wow. I am really looking forward to that. Unfortunately, like we said, we don't believe that museums going to be complete and they're going to have their opening ceremonies till 2022. Now, don't get us wrong. We've actually seen video where they're restoring that tank now. But I think if you can get onto a military base with your driver's license and, you know, you're not one of the, you know, on the list to be shot right in the face as soon as you get on there, um, you can still go and see the tanks that are on the outside of Fort Benning. And so if you're around that area and you get down there, please contact us. Let us know how to get on and what kind of tanks that are there. Um, we'll even take your pictures. Yeah. We'll even throw your name out there. Heck right? yeah. We appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. The last update that I've, I've seen on the National Armor and Calvary Museum at Fort Benning, they're doing some really heavy restoration of some of the big tanks they've got down there and it's going to be really interesting to see that museum when it is up and running in the future now we've talked and i'm gonna have to leave this to russell because russell is more of a tech guy than i am if you haven't picked this up yet um russell can you explain some of the problems that the mark 5 heavy tank had like engine wise you said the engine was in the crew compartment yeah the engine was actually in the center of the crew compartment which led to miserable crew conditions, like I mentioned before, because of its heat output. I mean, there was no shielding or anything else around the engine to keep the heat from just overwhelming the crew. It did have a Ricardo engine. They had quite a few issues 
very lack of reliability with those engines during combat proper maintenance while it was important to those engines it was one of the crew's least concerns i mean you had people shooting at you and trying to kill you so engine maintenance is probably their least concern and back to the ventilation uh, of the area in which the mark five star that's that was probably its largest weakness with ventilation inside the crew compartment uh, the mark five star uh, drew its air from outside the tank it left the crew compartment pretty darn stagnant now i'm sure they didn't have radiator fluid or anything like that they were probably using just plain old water uh, actually most in those days the engines were air cooled i mean they had they just brought air from the outside and and brought over the engine to cool it down so that's wow yeah so the heat coming off that inside that little yeah uh, it it probably become pretty unbearable pretty quick wow that's incredible how much armor did one of these have like on the front sides maybe the roof and unfortunately the belly what kind of armor thickness are we talking about well the maximum front armor was only 16 millimeters it had side armor of about 12 millimeters and roof and belly armor of about 8 millimeters. So it was not very thick at all. So we're talking that it'll stop most rifle rounds, most machine gun rounds, but anything else. I mean, if they were throwing grenades underneath that thing, oh. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, we talked a little bit about the males having you know the guns the big guns what were those guns they had uh, the male tank actually had two six pounder 57 millimeter and they carried about 207 rounds inside the tank wow you know what people forget is a lot of times those bullets would go through could you imagine being loaded with 207 rounds six pounder ammo and having rounds hitting them Um, if you uh, are not familiar with the term uh, cook off this is when a tank gets hit and the ammunition and the fuel actually cook off inside the tank and cause kind of looks like a volcano if you've never seen it Um, you can actually find if you go to youtube and hit tank cook off you'll actually see, you know, the tops popping off and you can hear a, just like fireworks burning wow. like a Roman candle. It's really wild. Um, what kind of fuel mileage were we getting? How, mu- how much fuel could that one of those things hold? Uh, the Mark V Stars um, held about 93 gallons of fuel, uh, gasoline. They were gasoline engines back then. And that would usually get them about 45 miles radius. Um, of the action for about 10 hours 10 hours of endurance yeah about lasted about 10 hours worth of operation well if you look at the tank that's nothing but rolling ta- you know tracks you know yeah was it a fast tank no uh, not at all maximum speed about five mile an hour or eight kilometers an hour very slow and they were designed that way too why were they designed that way well they believe they started with the mark one with speeds of about that, about five mile an hour. And that was about your infantry walking speed, to be honest with you. And those tanks were designed for the infantry to keep up with and... And stay behind. And stay behind, yeah, at walking speeds. So that these tanks could actually cross the trenches and 
and take out barbed wire and, and get more, the lines. More of an infantry support vehicle. So that would be the UK's thought process for many, many years. Because I know the Churchill, and we'll get into the Churchill tanks if you're not familiar with those, but even like the Matildas and uh, Valentine tanks, they were all infantry walking speeds. They really wanted those infantry support. And uh, later on, I know the Germans, even the Americans, even the Russians, went for speed, more of a blitzkrieg kind of stuff. But again, we'll get into that in the future. I apologize. We're jumping way ahead. But there's just so much to cover in tanks. Wrap up. Um, like I was saying, we have so much information to cover. And we expect this podcast to go on and go on. And we're hoping that you will take time out. Send us your email. Um, like we're, If you have questions or if you have suggestions, we want to hear them. You know, a lot of these podcasts blow you off. We're new. Uh, we are definitely going to stay close to our base and the people that follow us. So let's go ahead and wrap up our very first episode. Give us a wrap up, Russell. Well, I do want to mention a couple things on our actually podcast site. I do want you to go there every once in a while and, and check out some of the pictures and stuff. I will. One of the actual pictures, um, I want you to check out the link to a Mark V crew tank their tank pictured with the crew um, taken in world war one and that link to that picture um, you can find at the two tankers and cat.podbean.com which is our host for our podcast you can also find a link there uh, to check out the video that we were talking about for the national armor and cavalry museum at fort benning they put together a video here probably couple weeks back now i think um outlining their mark five star heavy tank that they're refurbishing there at that facility we're gonna try to have a new episode of the two tankers and a cat podcast out every other tuesday of each month the next episode hopefully being released on the morning of october 30th of 2018 also i want to mention that if you want us to cover a specific tank or historical event in a future podcast, you can always email us at two tankers and cat at gmail.com. T W O T A N K E R S A N D C A T at gmail.com. And links to that email address and everything else can be found on the on the Podbean website also. And the last thing I really want to say is just make sure to follow us on your favorite podcasting app. Uh, or through iTunes, uh, so you don't miss the next episode. Excellent. And we will uh, try to get some pictures of Lightning the Cat. Um, oh, if yeah. You, if you haven't heard some of our background noise, that was her climbing around. Yeah. Um, we're going to try to edit out her some of her meowing. <laughs> <laughs> She's like wanting to be a part of it from the very go, which is great. We ask you to take a look at the picture of the Mark V um, if you look at that picture, you will also see that they have some art on it. Um, a lot of people don't know or have pictures of when their grandfather or great-grandfather were in the war or even in the Vietnam War or any war where there's tanks. A lot of people would take pictures with their tanks and they would have things wrote on it. Like if you remember the movie Fury, they had Fury wrote on the uh, gun. If you have 
old pictures of that like that, please send them to us. We will put them on uh, eventually. Uh, if you have nose art of anything, even aircraft, we can we can even post that. We're we're kind of partial to military ships and aircraft too, but if we get off on that, we're going to have more episodes. Then we know what to do with. <laughs> well, eh, we're going to go ahead and close out. Until then, have a great day and happy tanking. This is Charlie Chapman signing off. And this is Russell Parsons. Lightning, get down. Ha, <laughs> ha,